welcome to episode seven of the Outfield Podcast. So happy to be back with you after another far too long break. But this guest was worth the wait. Alex Reamer of Outsports, CBS Sports Radio, formerly of WEI, openly gay man covering sports in Boston and now nationally. He has a great story. He has been covering LGBTQ people in sports for the last couple months. We'll talk to him about that journey. Working at WEI, one of the biggest sports talk radio stations in the country, then going to politics briefly and then coming back. So much to get to with him. Really excited to have him on. We hope you enjoy episode 70 Outfield Podcast with Alex Reamer coming up in just a second. to the Outfield Podcast. This is episode seven. Very happy to welcome in Alex Reamer of Outsports and many other places. I'm really glad I listened to your podcast, Alex, before I did this interview because I would have pronounced your last name Reimer if I didn't. Everybody does. It should be pronounced Reimer, actually. We're the ones who uh, messed up. Why did you mess up? How did you mess up with that? (laughs) I have no idea. You have to ask my, you have to ask yeah, maybe the people at Ellis Island screwed up in their notation. Maybe it should be R I E M E R. Who knows? Well, it's it's funny because as I as you maybe you don't maybe you don't know I don't know how big of a hockey fan you are. So I'm very used to James Reimer. So yes, I mean that's that's the first thing that comes into my head. So I'm glad I realized this because then I would have sounded like an idiot. But I sound like an idiot anyway, so I don't think I'm too worried about that. But getting names right is kind of important when you're doing my line of work. So. Oh, it is. Yeah, I've I've been embarrassed many times. James Ryan is a long lost cousin, by the way. So is a long lost cousin. Okay. Yes. Uh that's that's great. I said a lot of nasty things about James Ryan following Florida Panthers for many years. So I, I'm sorry in advance. Uh, I do want to say first before we uh, start the meat of this thing, uh, what's it like for you? You're normally on the other side of the microphone in this setting. You're answering questions instead of asking them. Uh, I, it makes me feel powerful. Yes, I get to set the rules. I get to set the ground rules. So I like that. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> it's a different experience for us all. Every time I get interviewed, which is rarely, I go, "Oh, this is weird. This doesn't make much sense." I don't have to. I enjoy talking about myself, so it works. I I do too. It's just nobody wants to listen to me talk. If you hear about my job hunt, you'll see why no one wants to hear about uh, me. And anyway, uh, anyway, soaking aside. If people don't know who you are, I think it'd be hard to not know who you are because you're one of the editors of Outsports now, which is probably, the, I wouldn't say, the preeminent uh, place with LGBTQ people in sports. What's your backstory for those people oh. who don't know who you are, but they will know by the end of the show? Hmm. Backstory. Um, a, uh, I'm a former sports talk radio loudmouth who took a brief deviation to uh, politics, and now I'm uh, back in the sports media and journalism game. I want to get to the politics thing because I want to have a discussion about that. Very interesting. Uh, but first, I, I want to guess what when you describe your life journey and you get to where you got to now, did you ever think, oh, I'm going to actually get to being this big time sports talk radio host, sports media person from obviously with your sexuality. There's a whole intersection there, of course. 
did you ever think that this was going to be like this was actually going to be your career path? Um, well, I'm pretty sure you're calling me a big time media personality, Chris. This is why it's good to get interviewed. You get complimented like that. Yes. It's a great thing. Um, uh, yes. To answer your question, yes. I always wanted to do this. Uh, I started my own Red Sox podcast when I was 12, way back, Matt, in the mid-aughts. We're talking 2005. So, you know, way back when. I was a pioneer, really. You're a pioneer. Um, when I, started- I was that age, I was um, just yelling at my PlayStation 2. Well, me too, basically. I, I did both. I yelled at my PlayStation 2 and then yelled into a uh, podcast microphone. Um, I also was blogging when I was that age. Uh, so I always, always wanted to do this. And uh, my life goal, basically, from the time I was 12, 13, was how do I make a career out of this? And that's really what I obsessed over for most of my life and uh, continue to obsess over it today to an extent, although I've fortunately struck a little more life career balance which i think is is very important i as i was joking with you beforehand i haven't because my career is still not going well and i'm still also a sports fan and none of the teams i root for as the day of i'm recording this make me actually want to like sports anymore everything is bad but let's not focus on that i want to focus on your life uh how you where you grew up give us an idea of your family life that uh helped shape the person you have become Family life. I uh, I grew up in the Boston area, so a very typical suburban upbringing, I guess, with a good good family. Um, you know, my father was a big sports fan, so I guess that's how I got into it. I was never much of an athlete. That was perpetually the last pick in uh, you know recess <laughs> pick up football, which was upsetting. So always always loved sports. Always loved talking, giving my opinion. Uh, I didn't grow up uh, religiously Jewish, if you will, but, you know, very culturally Jewish household from the standpoint that discussion was welcome. I had a Jewish father, Italian mother, so a very loud household. Everything was up for debate, if you will. Uh, so I, 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 I only, we, we were not a children should be seen, not heard household. The kids were encouraged to voice their opinions, so I guess that's why I never felt uncomfortable voicing mine publicly. Just there's always something that I've done. Mm-hmm. It sounds like uh, that this would be my life minus the Italian mother thing. <laughs> like, it almost reads Basically. exactly the same as mine. It's crazy. Swap out Boston for it's Philadelphia good. and Jewish mother. Oh, even 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 worse. I, I mean, it's, it's almost it's almost <laughs> identical. It's, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's well, that's what it is. That's what happens when you grow up. Well, you got both. You got Jewish and Italian. I got all Jewish. But I mean, it's not like I didn't grow up with a loud household with uh you know, me spouting my opinions into the void. Nope. The opinions that no one wanted to hear until somebody actually said, you know, maybe you might want to try to write some of these opinions down. I don't know. So you are a sports fan. You are also an openly gay man. For the longest time, those two things didn't really mesh. So talk about your, uh, your, your journey with your sexuality. Your awakening, when did you know, and how did you kind of reconcile those two things that especially when we were growing up, because I'm assuming we're the same age based on these talks, uh, that they didn't really reconcile at the time we were coming of age. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, uh, I never felt very comfortable on, on the field or the court, but I don't think that was because I was gay. It's because I just wasn't very good athletically. So I'll separate that. I'll separate those two things. Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I didn't really think about my sexuality that much until I got to college. Uh, when I was growing up in middle school and in high school, certainly, I was just very, as I said, as weird as it sounds, I was very 
professionally focused. I spent a lot of my free time podcasting, blogging. I used to have a, a radio show on a small AM station. Like you couldn't even get the signal of this thing in the parking lot of the radio station. But like I did it every Saturday. So that was my Saturday routine. So I just, I, I really didn't think much about me till I got to college. And then to be honest, I mean, I'm fortunate where I went to uh, Boston University. I had a, a good group of friends and I never really, I, I, I never really thought that coming out would be an impediment to my sports media career. I really didn't. Um, I was worried about what my home friends from home would think. I was worried about what people in school would think, certainly. So I'm not saying I didn't encounter those battles in my personal life. And But in terms of professionally, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're talking 2011, 2012. I mean, it certainly was more rare than it is today. But Steve Buckley is an openly gay sports writer in Boston who came out in 2010, 2012, and we've become very good friends. So I could always point to him as an example. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I never, I never thought that it would really impede me professionally, I guess, but maybe I didn't, I, but I also didn't think about it that much. So maybe that was my way of blocking those feelings out. I don't know. I guess it's again, another one of these where it's like, it sounds like my story. Uh, it almost sounds identical. It's not like, it's not yeah. like I didn't think about it cause I did, but I mean, it's just one of those things that now you look back on it and you and we're in much more in, entranced, I guess, with the better word, ensconced in this community. And you look at just how sports was viewed for the longest time, just as a place oh, right. that we weren't accepted. And now you think about it, it's better than it was. But when you look at it from the past, and this is not that long ago, this is nine, ten years ago when we're kind of coming of age, you, you think sports and the LGBT community really didn't mix. Yeah, and I guess I was talking more professionally in terms of my media career. But if I were an athlete and played at a high level, I'm sure it would have, I'm sure it would have been an obstacle. And of course, you know, homophobic language was very prevalent in my high school. And you know, I graduated in 2011, so again, within the last decade, not very long ago. And uh, we talk about it a lot at Outsports, the prevalence of casual homophobia. And when you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, you are conditioned to think, well. Maybe something's wrong with me. I don't really belong here. I have to compensate and act super macho, super masculine. Or, you know, we've interviewed numerous athletes who have that as their story. Uh, recently, TJ Cowan, a running back, former running back for University of Miami, uh, Sid Ziegler, our founder, did a great interview with him. And he quit the team in 2018, like just two years ago, because of homophobic language and he just didn't feel comfortable. So, it remains a huge issue, no doubt. And I think the other thing is too, Matt, it's, it's very cultural. I, I think that people just grow up with gay being a synonym for, you know, lame or bad or, or a put down. And it can seem like it's just words, but as you know, it, it isn't. It can have an effect when you hear that stuff over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, it, I don't even remember hearing it as much when I was growing up. And I, I guess I probably did. It just never registered with me. Well, yeah. again, being bisexual is a tiny bit different. I mean, you could hide it in air quotes but even then it just it never I, I don't think words ever bothered me it was just a, I guess the different part for me growing up was that I was bullied a lot until I kind of grew a conscience and a sarcastic backbone and then I never got bullied again and didn't really care what other people thought and I mean maybe that was why I was most opinionated in high school and biggest sports fan <laughs> it, it, hey not not too savvy it's it was not a, not too bad for the fact that I didn't think a lot of people knew who I was or liked me so you know what? I got support go. from my peers in a backhanded way. Such as you how had the momentum. Oh yeah, I could still look back on that in my high school yearbook and go, yeah, you know what? That makes that makes perfect sense. Not really much has changed since then either. Uh, 
I wasn't surprised when I went to my high school reunion and uh, people were, they liked me more than I thought they did. Oh, well, I wasn't out Always by that good point. News. It wasn't, yeah. This Always good, good news. Yeah, I'll, I'll take good news. So for you, as you start to figure out your sexuality and you still continue to pursue your career, kind of like with me in, in, in college, I, I definitely at a point knew what was going on, even though I couldn't really pin down what was actually happening because I didn't know much about bisexuality at that point. But, you know, we both went through the same thing. We we're intensely focused on our careers. And as I started paying more attention to LGBTQ issues, particularly in sports, you got the sense that it was a, it was trickier because there wasn't the greatest amount of role models. And you talked about Steve Buckley being one of them, and there are others. But for you, what was the time that you started to think, like, my sexuality, I hope it's not an impediment to my career, but I'm kind of going into uncharted waters because there aren't many people like me out there. Well, I mean, so when I graduated college, I was a, a freelance writer. I wrote for uh, many places, uh, you know, and, and so I never really, I never felt like it was appropriate for me to publicly announce my sexuality because people have been like, okay, like, who are you? Like, great, <laughs> you know? So I didn't hide it necessarily, but it just wasn't a part of my work. It only became a part of my work when I started in sports talk radio. I was asked a question, one of my first appearances on WEI, the Boston sports talk station I was on for you know, three years or so. And, uh, and, and they asked me, you know, we have Alex Streamer here. What do the listeners not know about you? And I'm like, okay, I could just go one of two ways. I could say something really boring and kind of blow the segment, or I could say what they don't know about me. What do the listeners not know about me? I'm gay. So I said, I'm gay. And I came out and, and I don't regret it one bit. I mean, I don't think I would have had the sports talk radio career and the career I have now if I hadn't come out. I think in order to be the best personality you can be and even the best writer and journalist you can be, you have to be honest with your audience. And if I had not come out, I would be dishonest and I think it would severely impact my work. So it was just that casual? Pretty much. Pretty much. Just one of those things that you just go for it. Um, cause again, Matt, it was, it was a matter of when, not if, especially when I got involved with WEI, you know, this is, this is talk radio, this is entertainment. And so you have to be a personality. You have to be yourself. You talk about life, you know, a good sports talk show doesn't just talk about the games. They talk about life. They talk about issues, talk about what you talk about with your friends. And it, I mean, so it would be, I just never felt comfortable hiding who I was. It was just a matter of when. I was going to come out, and I had the little opening and, and took it. How many people were you out to before you did that? Oh, everyone in my life who I cared about at that point. Uh, I was okay. out for a few years. So, so how yeah. did that process go for you during college? I, I assume you, you, you're figuring these things out, and then you finally showed the courage. So what was it like when you first came out to people? Uh, I mean, pretty scary. Uh, that's, and I don't really know why in retrospect. My parents, I knew – in the back of my mind, I'd always be accepting. I knew that my good friends in college would be accepting. So I guess I was just trying to accept myself. And like I said, if you grow up, like, like I did, you know, you say you, you didn't hear it as much, but, but I, I heard a lot of this casual homophobic taunt growing up. So it just gets ingrained in your mind, like this is wrong or this is not the right thing to do. I should try something else. But then as you go through college and I saw my friend, you know, living a life that I just was not living, you feel like you're just missing out. You're missing out on the fun. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to start actually living my life. And so I just took a big 
And what prompted me to come out actually was I was having lunch with my mother one day uh, and, and she asked me like, why I'm not dating anybody. And oh, I gave that's, the that's, typical that's classic. Oh, that's an awful question. I hated it. And I always gave this like nonchalant answer of, Oh, you know, you know, whatever, oh, plenty of girls, but not one. Haha. <laughs> you know, like her dorky son is some player, please. Realized early on, don't ask me this question because it's going to be like, I'm focused here on sports. I have an abusive relationship with any number of terrible teams. I can't place that upon some poor, horrible human being who doesn't deserve it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my mom, I mean, my mom then looked at me and was just like, uh, you know, well, uh, maybe we should go talk to someone, you know, maybe you have anxiety talking to girls. And, and I just remember uh, Matt going home, that night back to my dorm room just so enraged thinking oh my god my mother thinks I have sort some sort of anxiety around girls when it's just it's just not the case so I actually even though I went to college literally half an hour from my house the next day I just called my mom and dad and just told them over the phone and just blurted it out and over the last couple several months I came out to all my friends and by my junior year I was I was rolling so I mean once I just did it I just did it and and it all and it felt good. It felt it felt good. I don't. The only regret is I wish I did it earlier, the first day. I think of everyone regrets they didn't do it earlier. I kind of regret. Yeah. It. Not not a ton well, because. Yeah. I think that's a common thread, and people see life's a lot easier when you come out. But it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do, and it's much harder to say it than you ever think it is. And I tried to do it the other way, which was kind of semi-scripting it, like figuring out ways and times and places to do it, and it all failed miserably. Because you can't actually get to the words you'd say. I would talk about nonsense for 30 minutes before I ended up saying it. Even though you, like me, grew up in a pretty accepting place with accepting people all around us. I mean, that's, that's the good thing of growing up in a Jewish household. I have not seen anybody who's grown up Jewish or in the LGBT community that's had almost any issues, unless there's certain places, but... It's been it's been easier, and that and that kind of acceptance made it made it a lot easier for me. But even then, it's like I if I wish I did it on a whim, I wish I just kind of blurted it out because it would have been a lot easier. You didn't have to script it and then go through. Well, what are all the permutations of this possibly going wrong? <laughs> yeah, no, it's certainly. I mean, I can't tell you how many nights I tossed and turned in my little freshman uh, dorm room bed, uh, playing out these scenarios. Yeah, of course, it's all I could think about until I it's, did it. It's, it's all-encompassing until you do it. So, let's talk about WEI. We'll mix the LGBT community story with you and actually your, your work. Um, WEI, I don't want to call it infamous, but it kind of is. It's like probably third on my list of infamous sports talk radio stations behind WIP and WFAN, which I've had experiences with both of them, just listening and not necessarily working for them. What is it? What was it like working for? I mean, the preeminent sports talk radio station in one of the most—I don't want to say infamous sports towns, but probably. Well, what's the best word you could describe Boston as a sports town with? Uh, they love their Patriots and they love Tom Brady. I mean, and Robin. Okay. That's over. It. Oh, by the way, I know <laughs> Boston people will be listening to this. Miles Jack was down. You might not want to agree with that, but Miles Jack was down. So there you are. I agree. I agree. The reps gave the Pats another one. Ah, they did. Well, no, that's the only one I will ever give because he actually, you know, wasn't down. But I, I mean, listen, the Jaguars haven't won that many games since they went to the playoffs anyway, but it's still something that will always be in my head for the rest of my life. I have no choice. But uh, in terms of 
hosting sports talk radio in Boston. For a lot of people, they would love to do it. What's it actually like hosting sports talk radio in Boston? Uh, um, I, there's a lot of ways I could go with that. Um, Quick, whichever be, way you feel most comfortable without alienating people, I guess. Uh, well, that, well, that's a given. I alienate anybody whenever I open my mouth. Um, that's basically me, too. I so guess, again, kindred spirits yeah. here, sir. Padres. I yep. guess I would say it can be – I guess I would say hosting sports talk radio in Boston, it's, it's, it's different depending on the show – the situation i would say that it, I, I found it intoxicating um largely during my run at wei and what i mean by that is i i i i've always loved being on the radio and i always just loved the performance of it and so there i am in morning drive kirk and callahan like the highest rated show in the city for men 2554 with these guys who I grew up listening to and absolutely loved and wanted so much to be a part of this world. And like I said, this is all I ever wanted to do. I mean, I only wanted to work at WEI or our other sports station, 98.5, the sports hub, their competitor. So I was there at 23 years old, like, holy shit, I'm in morning drive. And I'm like friggin' famous. I'm like doing it. And it was just intoxicating. And you find that I started with that show right before the 2016 election, they did a lot of politics, which I loved. So we went right at it. They're two hosts, you know, they're Trump guys. I, of course, was not. So we just had these just crazy fights and I came out and then that became a part of the show. And it just all, it just was very intoxicating. You kind of imagine your whole life being in this spot and then here you are. It was, it was at a lot of surreal days, especially early on, but then, you know, it becomes a job. And, and especially, you know, I had the Brady situation happen, which changed my perspective on it a lot. And, and, uh, and now, you know, I walked away uh, this past summer. I voluntarily left. And now I'm getting back into talk radio. So it's just, uh, it can do a lot, give you a lot of emotion. I know explain, I rambled for a bit. Explain, explain that Brady situation, because there might not be people out there who know what that is, but I think it's an important one to talk about. Yeah, I mean, well... I feel always we're describing it. Um, I, I know, I guess, but uh, you kind of have to. If you're, you're here. Uh, well, you know, uh, that, that, was, that was one of my conditions. What are you talking about? We had a real fine deal here. Now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I uh, I called his daughter a pissant for like no reason. It was at the end. Do you remember the Tom vs. Time Facebook series? You remember that? I, I do. I it was one of those things with with Tom Brady that it's just like it it all kind of goes over my head. It, it was more like. You know, there's so many things like we're just dealing with a Hulu ad that's tapping into, you know, the three, 4D chess of where he's going to play. And you're just I, I don't lose track of some of this stuff at this point. Yeah, well, that's how I should have viewed it. So it was a very the first episode, like the first scene, he's in the kitchen and his kids are five years old and they're running around and being cute, regular five-year-olds but you know i'm the big radio tough guy so i go on the air that night and i make a flippant comment like oh yeah you know i thought his kids were a little pissant at the beginning but other than that it was fine just you know just being an a-hole like obviously something i don't believe nothing i would say in real life but you get that again intoxicated 
feeling where every time I was on, I wanted to have a big reaction. I wanted the phone lines to go crazy. I wanted the text machine to go crazy. I wanted my mentions to blow up. I wanted to be played back on the morning show the next day. Like, oh, my God, you can't believe what Reamer said now. This guy's crazy. He's out. He's outrageous. Like, that, I, I really wanted that. And it prompts you to say some stupid shit. And that was certainly one of the stupider things that I said. And then you kind of, you know, you're like Icarus in a much smaller sense, but you get to the sun, you burn out and you reassess and you realize, hey, like what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to present myself as? And ultimately, this isn't life and death. You know, I was off the air for like six months. I was reviled. You know, I, I couldn't open Twitter without pissant, pissant, pissant being in my face. So it, it makes you realize that this stuff is, you know, just a job too. At the end of the day, life is goes beyond your career goes beyond media. So, you know, when you lose, don't lose the lesson, Matt. That would be my my pertinent advice to you as I sit here as the interviewee. For me, I, I, see, the difference with me is that with my – I like – I've never been a sports talk radio guy. I listened to WIP when I was growing up with my father, but he was not a Philly sports fan and neither am I. We, I kind of listened to it for the absurdity of the thing, and like kind of what you're talking about here. I like – what I do, I love play-by-play. That's my thing, and that's what I've always wanted to do. So sports talk radio and podcasting came kind of later, and with podcasting, I always felt like, what kind of discussions can I have where I can be myself and joke around, but also can get in, you know, good discussions about topics that are a little bit heavier than what you could get on sports talk radio. And, you know, for me, it's like at a point, I can't yell and scream at the same thing over and over again. I get burnt out really quickly, and as I told you, the teams I follow, I would not last five minutes on Sports Talk Radio because I couldn't do it. You know, I can't deal with the things you'd hear all that often. And for me, I, I, it's kind of like I'm one note the entire time. I couldn't do the performative act sort of thing. You're obviously better at it than I am. But, you know, again, it's the, it's the different aspects of, uh, of well, the key, life. Well, the key is to make it not that much of a, of a performative act. The best talk radio host you know you really just have to be yourself on the air and just kind of talk like you would normally that's really one of the keys and i learned that the hard way of course you have to be opinionated and you have to exaggerate a bit because nobody in real life is opinionated about you know 10 topics uh, on the same day but um sorry it depends on what those topics but, uh, <laughs> are sir what did what did you say it depends on what those topics are if those topics are um Jose Mourinho, then Shad Khan, and if, if it happened to be 10 topics that I could find legitimate opinions about, and then maybe throw in one on the Roman Empire, you know, I could probably do that, but then there might be 10 random ones that I'd be like, what do you want from me? You know, depends on the 10 yeah. topics you're talking about. Yeah, but I mean, the thing about doing talk radio every day is it can get repetitive. I mean, right now, if you were a daily talk show host in Boston, this would be literally day 60 of four hours of Tom Brady's speculation it gets very old very quickly and and that's and you know it's it's hard it's a hard thing to do uh you know now i do some national sports talk radio which is a little less repetitive because you have a wider breadth of topics but you know even if you do like five shows in a row you, you hit a lot of the same notes that's the other key of talk radio too that a lot of people don't realize a lot of it is just repetition and finding ways to you know repackage the same arguments a million times over which is where i think you know, you have a lot of hosts who sometimes get in trouble and push the boundaries because you just are, you, you have to come up with so much original content. It really is a, it's a much harder gig than people think it is. 
Oh, I would always say that actually doing what people think is really easy, and it happens with play-by-play -play a lot when I see play-by-play -play criticism, and I said, I've said it to myself, it's, it's hard to do. It is legitimately hard to do, and it's not something you could fall out of bed and do. You know, and, and oh. it, when, I, when I do these podcasts, I try to, obviously I'd like to do more of them than I have been, but you know, you try to find the one core topic which is LGBTQ people in sports, and then, you know, branch out and find different ways to talk about that sort of thing. So, as a, did you have any um, close encounters of the bad kind when people found out that you were gay and they said, and you said something they disagreed with? Did anything like that happen? What do you mean, the bad kind? I, I, as in, like, did they say nasty things to you, homophobic? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. People say horrible, heinous things. Um... Interestingly enough, most of the vitriol at me was about my political leanings at WEI, not so much my sexuality. But yeah, people say horrible, nasty things. People suck. Um, but, you know, if you want to be in the arena, unfortunately, you kind of got to get used to it as hard as it is. Did, did that ever, like, because you, if, with the, the personality that you have, obviously, and the job you had, it's something you had to kind of bounce off of you pretty, you know, easily. But, I mean, with that sort of thing, and because of the life that we all had when you heard homophobic slurs casually, does, was that something that was harder to deal with than people saying, oh, you're an idiot for your political leanings or something like that? No, because I could actually write it off and just be like, he's a homophobic bigot. So, no. Uh, so, yeah. See, but it, see, I mean, of course... I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have guessed that, honestly, even though the way you explain it makes sense. It's something that I wouldn't have thought of because, you know, I mean, I could, I could see that, but for me, it's like, you know, that would dig deeper to me than, you know, saying, oh, you're an idiot for supporting X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but I don't want to minimize it either. I mean, it certainly is hard when every day that vitriol is in your face. I mean, it's absolutely terrible, and it's very hard, and it messes with people's mental health, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. And I think Twitter is a very toxic medium as a result. It's, it's terrible, and trolls are awful, and people suck. And it's unfortunate that if you want to put yourself out there, you have to open yourself up to those kind of attacks. You know, I never, I never had an issue with people disagreeing with me. In fact, I want people to disagree with me. So you know, if someone ripped my article, I would have no issue with that. Like, whatever. Like you, but, 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 you know, I don't understand why people have to make it personal or, like, try to dox you or literally try to get you, you know, try to get you in trouble. It's just when it crosses that line and becomes harassment is what the real issue is. Yeah, I, I never understood it because I will always want to talk if you're willing to have a discussion. But if you're not willing to have a discussion, then I don't know what the point is for you or for me. And that's just yeah. Twitter. That's just everywhere. Like I'll have these discussions, but you got to be willing to come in on a level playing field. And yeah. I, I just I just don't think enough people are willing to do that. And I and I and I never understood it from the perspective of what does it make you feel? Does it make you feel better? That you've called someone, you know, any number of homophobic slurs, does it make you feel better? Like, I, I never understood. I don't think I ever will, but thankfully it hasn't yeah, happened to me. With, people just with low self-esteem. I, I, I agree with you. That I definitely agree with you. So as you go on after your uh, the incident with Tom Brady and his children, but you learn from it, and you get back into your sports talk radio routine but then you went to work actually in politics and i remember reading that story in outsports and i was yeah i was a little surprised because we've seen people jump from sports to politics before that's that's not new i i followed some reporters who have done it and they do an incredibly good job 
Uh, but what was the onus? Was it just I got burnt out on sports talk radio as quickly as I did, or was there something else going on that made you think, um, yeah, it's time to try this and see where it leads? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I was burnt out on sports talk radio. I wasn't enjoying it. I mean, I had a weekly show every Sunday morning live from Fenway Park. And, and when I quit, this is what I told uh, our program director, you know, and so like, imagine this, this should be the dream of any kid who grew up wanting to be in sports talk radio, right? Like here I am every Sunday morning, we're live from Fenway during baseball season. Like I used to listen to this show growing up and now I'm doing it. But almost every week, Matt, I went to that show like angry. I was pissed that it was at nine o'clock in the morning. It interfered with my Saturday night plans. Like, and I'm like, this something is messed up here if I'm not enjoying this job because you certainly don't do it for the money you know when the hours are hard so definitely not yeah so 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 I, I just got burned out and i've been very interested in politics the last several years and remain very you know politically active and really enjoy politics and i had this opportunity to switch and i said hey my whole life i never brought into my horizons here's an opportunity to broaden my horizons Maybe it's the right time to do it. So I jumped, but you know, it's, I then quickly realized like my first day as the communications director for my boss, like the Patriots trade for Antonio Brown. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like one of the biggest stories in the country. I have so many thoughts and I can't really share them. And you know, that was the issue. I missed it instantly and I knew it just wasn't a fit. So here I am back kind of doing a, a bit of a retooling. So it was a Massachusetts state senator, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So this is not even like nine U.S. representatives or any of the, or the two senators. This is state level politics, and yeah, I it's mean, real politics, exactly. It is, it is, but it's like when you think about politics, we think uh, the joke is all politics is local, and in this case, I guess it was for you, but. Like, we, we think politics, we think on a national level. I don't often think about New Jersey state politics. There's a good reason for that. I shouldn't. Uh, but what was the, the thing that surprised you most when you jumped to doing that job as opposed to coming from where you were? Because when you're a communications director, you're trying to control the message. And when you're in sports talk radio, you're trying to kind of do the opposite. You're trying to push it out as far as you can. Yeah, I just didn't like it. Exactly. It just felt very uncomfortable for me. Uh, I, I, again, I like to say things. It just, I just, uh, I, I didn't, you know, my goal with that job was to eventually transition to political media. I wanted to be a pundit on CNN or MSNBC or what have you. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? Ooh, I got to get some political experience. Oh, let me be a comms director. Like all of these analysts are ex-comms people, but I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I, I couldn't wait. And kind of go dark for a couple of years because as a communications director, you speak for your boss, you speak for your office, you do not speak for yourself. And that just was not a fit for me. So, uh, you know, it didn't just didn't, didn't work out. And I realized what I truly love. Yeah. I think then for me, everybody tells me as my sports media career goes nowhere, uh, as which, as much as I wish it didn't, it's like broaden your horizons. But I, I keep telling them like, this is where I belong. This is what I like to do. And I know I belong here because I wouldn't suffer through what I've suffered through if it wasn't for the fact that I love doing this. And the brief moments when it works, it's the best two hours of my life. You know what I mean? And as much as broadening your horizons is great, you might realize, you know what? I had it right the first time. And I think because you and I, 
talking to you and doing this show, I've realized how similar you and I are in many ways. It kind of seems like that's what you found out too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I wanted to try something new and realize, wow, my last job was great. You mean I used to get to work from home in my sweatpants and write columns like about the issues of the day? Like, that's pretty cool. Why did I leave that job? <laughs> you know, I just, that's the thing I would always say. And, you know, one of my good friends, uh, a sports writer in town, those were his exact words to me when I was telling him I was thinking about leaving the station. And, you know, I told him, you know, how unhappy I was over the last months prior to that. And, the one thing he said to me was, I'll just tell you like what people always told me, you know, before you take the office job, be ready to accept that you really, you know, that you want to live that life. So wake up at seven o'clock every morning, you're in there nine to five, you're wearing a suit, you're wearing dress pants. It's a much, much more rigid existence. And that's the other thing too. I realized I kind of like the lifestyle. I, I don't mind working. Like I just completed a stretch of five overnight shows on CBS sports radio I would rather do that, I think, than do like, you know, the nine to five grind every day. It's just uh, it's just how I'm wired. Well, I mean, I wake up at noon, even though I'm unemployed. You know, I don't mind that. <laughs> it's the only benefit yeah, of being thing. unemployed. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to get to. So you you then are in this communications political world for very, very briefly. And then how did Outsports come along? I applied. So this was in the bank January. They had the opening. I knew Sid a little bit from some of the coverage. Uh, when I came out, they covered me and covered me a little bit in the ensuing years. So I reached out, said, hey, I would really like to take on this position. And so, uh, yeah, and I, I applied. It's really as simple as that. So how into the LGBTQ issues in sports were you before you started without sports was it something like as as i started to get really into it as i started figuring out my sexuality and saying like well who's out there is there anybody out there like me was it something that was a big for you or was it something that was just on your plate of all these other things in sports you could be focusing on uh i'm just getting out the door it's a podcast right so we're turning out the curtain turning down the curtain Uh, um yeah. (laughs) yeah uh so, uh, so LGBT in sports, I, yeah, I mean, I guess the answer to that question would be as I've, as I've gotten older and gotten more comfortable with my own sexuality, I've realized how I want the two to intersect my career and, you know, my sexuality, because it's become an increasingly large part of who I am. And, uh, you know, so I, I always followed the big LGBTQ topics, you know, when Jason Collins came out and Michael Sam came out, I was very attuned to that. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed about working at Sports is learning how diverse our community is in sports. You know, there's a bigger world map than just cisgendered men, as hard as that is to believe. Oh, man, it's so terrible. God, I'm glad that we yeah, get yeah. to talk about other things other than that at times. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so just to broaden my horizons, to use that term again, and get to just come in contact with and meet and write about and read about so many cool, interesting people who have such really inspiring life stories uh, across all swaths of life, I think is just the best part of what we do without sports. So we're really at the end of the day, an outlet to tell those stories. You know what I think is interesting about Outsports and it just popped into my head? It's when you read the sports stories of the day or even the news stories of the day, it's always at best it's neutral and at worst it's, you know, bad. 
But at Outsports, very, very rarely, I mean, there are there's coverage of stuff that's not great, but more often than not, you go on the homepage and there's a positive story. It's somebody happy to tell you what they've gone through and happy to be where they are now. And that's not something you get very often in 2020 media, particularly on the internet. So I think, I think maybe for you, because you go with all these, it's not, not negative stories, but you've gone from a world where it's always about opinions and now you right. get to go to a place where there is no opinion. It's just, it's a happy story. It's a good story for good people who wanted to get their chance. And now they've kind of broken free of that. That's a very interesting way to put it, uh, Matt. It certainly is different emailing people for interviews and having them willingly get back to you. I used to only reach out to people when I was pestering them. So, so that's definitely, well, that happens with me too. But I mean, for, for me, it's like when I, and it happens with certain sports, right? When I, when I see a story, when it's a particular sport, a particular person, it just, it makes my day, you know, and I've had the privilege of talking with people like that on the show. And it just, it makes your day. It makes you so happy. Like every one of these stories makes you happy. doesn't matter who it is, I think. But in general, like when you find somebody who's, you're connected with and you kind of understand, right? Like that brings in the happiness and that makes it much more fun to cover and makes it much more fun to write and talk about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've met some really cool people. Just this last week, I interviewed a guy named Casey Edenfield on my oh, podcast. Oh, trust me, I know who he is. I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a I cool that interview on Twitter before I talked about this because I, I want to have him on this show. Now that you did it, I want to do that too because, boy, I mean, there, there ain't nothing like an interview where you can mix those two things together. Uh, you should listen to that show. That was the idea. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun to do. That's that's for sure. Um, yeah. So just getting to meet people like that is super cool. Or even a couple weeks ago, I interviewed um, Harrison Brown, who's a former uh, was the first out male trans uh, professional hockey player in the NWHL. Uh, he won the championship back to back years, and now he's an actor in Toronto. So just meeting and just talking with all these cool people. Uh, yeah, is is a great is a good thing. And I think it's a good change of pace because you're right. There is so much negativity out there. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that there is still a role for a powerful steering column, uh, and we do do that and have the freedom to do that. But ultimately, yeah, our meat and potatoes is people want to come to out sports to read about out athletes just kind of doing their thing and succeeding. And I think uh, I think that's a great thing and a great service. But you don't just do outsports. I've seen you write at Forbes, and I also want to get to you on overnight sports talk radio, which, boy. Uh, so for you, is outsports, would you consider it your number one focus, or is it just one of many different focuses for you? <laughs> I love all of my jobs equally. Ah, that's, that's the diplomatic answer. Very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you went diplomatic there. Uh, I've seen you write for Forbes. That's just more like more general sports topics. And as opposed to, you know, you focus on LGBTQ issues in sports in one place. And now you get to write about, um, a bunch of other issues. Let me see. What was the last thing you wrote about for Forbes? Uh, James Dolan and, uh, Spike Lee. I mean, that's always fun to write about. Yeah. Forbes is great. It's a great platform. I was fortunate enough to work with Forbes, uh, and contribute to their sports money, um, vertical, when I was out of college, I did that for a couple of years, and that gave me a platform to write a lot of things that got noticed because uh, they give you so much editorial freedom, uh, and you have a great editors to work with. Uh, so, yeah, Forbes is a great gig. And, I, you know, freelancing is interesting, Matt. I mean, this is the second time I'm doing it. As I mentioned, I did it out of college. 
I'm doing it again now. It's definitely scary. It's definitely hard, but it can also be rewarding. It's kind of fun to be your own brand, if you will, and kind of manage your gigs. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love the Forbes gig and I love the opportunity it gives me to opine on all sorts of different, uh, different topics. Yeah, Forbes is a little bit different than me writing ranty columns about how the Florida Panthers defense is a tire fire and uh, random MLS columns about Chicharito for the 17th time, which has kind of happened. But, I mean, I like it, too, when I write. It isn't my, pri- my priority, I guess. It's still play-by-play, but I still like to write when I have the idea. And it's kind of one of those things that we're, we're writers, right? An idea comes to you, and then you just go. It's not something you think about. It's an instinct. Yeah, I, I think writing is very important, and I think that in order to be a good talk show host, for example, if I can get on my high horse again, I'm the interviewee, so I feel like I can I, do that. I know. Um, you can't tamp that down. You have to. No, but you have to. You have to be a good writer in this business, even play by play. Right? Aren't you a much better play by play guy if before the game you write down some thoughts? Right? You write down like a little, a few things to say. Correct, right? So you always need to write. I've always worked on instinct when I do what I do. Like I, when when it came for this podcast, I did my basic research, but then I just let the interviews flow the way that they do because I don't like scripting these things because then it sounds scripted. And our, and our, no, media, of course. It, and our media is of best course. when it isn't scripted, and that's and I'm not a scripted person, so, but. Of course, but you know, but also how to present an argument. Like I like when I did when I do talk radio, especially when I do these solo shows that I do on CBS. I I have a lot of notes. I have a lot of I have a lot of not scripted arguments, but I have a ways I want to go. I have the way I want to present an argument, and I just think the thing about writing too is it forces you to go to the second, third, fourth level. You, you can't just be surface level because you have like eight hundred words to fill, so you need to fill it with some sort of substance. So I just think writing in general gives you a better understanding of the issues you're opining on. Mm, I, I Yeah, because it, it, it makes it hard. Because certainly for me, I'd go read my first draft of articles and I'd be kind of like, oh, God, yikes. <laughs> There's a lot of that that's happened when I've written uh, stuff and then gone back and read it a day later. Uh, overnight Sports Talk Radio. What in the world? That does not seem like as much fun as it sounds. And it sounds like it would be interesting, but it's just, I don't know. What is Overnight Sports Talk Radio like on a national network, too? It's a glamorous existence. I, oh, I got to wear sweatpants every time I do it. Well, so sweatpants that's, that's is good. great. I like sweatpants or gym shorts. Gym yeah. shorts are good, too. Very nice. Messes with your sleep schedule. But it's, it's fun. It's really cool to know that you're on the air at 3.30 in the morning, and, and there are people not only listening, but calling in. And actually, if you are, so National Sports Talk Radio is interesting, and I just started doing this about a month ago, so I'm, getting, I'm new to it too. But, you know, of course, every local station is affiliated with a national company, right? So CBS Sports Radio is owned by Intercom, another big, you know, the big media company. They merge. So every Intercom station plays CBS Sports Radio as its syndicated programming because WFAN, as you know, is the only 24-hour sports talk station in the country like at wei for example our local programming ends at midnight so then they play cbs overnight so if you want to clear the most affiliates the overnight show is actually where you're heard the most you're heard on pretty much every affiliate in the country in canada so whereas you know if you do a day show on cbs sports radio you know you're not on a lot of affiliates in the major markets because they all have their own local programming so uh so that was cool i mean the call volume is interesting and it's definitely uh 
it's definitely a fun experience once you get past the sleep deprivation. Do you get a more dedicated caller base because of that? Because the certain people who are going to call you have certain jobs, like they're driving home from whatever it is that they do. Because in the day, you could get anybody, any random person in many ways. But when you're overnight, when most people are sleeping, you get a certain group of people because they do a certain set of jobs. Is, is that something you noticed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you start recognizing the call names even after a few times doing it. But I would say that's the case for any sports talk radio because such a small, I think it's like less, less than 1% of listeners actually call in. So it's, it's, just, it's, just a, it's such a small dedicated base of callers anyway i think regardless of your time slot you just notice that the same people call in over and over mm -hmm. so as we start to wrap this up i want to ask i guess more of a, a grand question first about you particularly with being an out gay man in sports and how much it's evolved since you've come out uh where do you think we are in terms of just in general wide lens lgbtq people in sports in march 2020 when this is opened up in a time capsule in 30 years and people who actually care about this issue will come back and listen to it, where do you think we are? Uh, I think we have more visibility than ever. You even you look at the Olympics, of course, the bevy of out-athletes out every year. That's a huge benchmark for us without sports. You even see now the first trans athletes are starting to qualify for the Olympics. Chris Mosier, for example, and others uh, are in the Olympic trials. And so you have a lot of tr more trans representation, too. And, and a lot of these Olympic events. So that's all good. But I think there are obvious obstacles that still exist, especially as it pertains to the four or five major American sports. I mean, there are no active, openly gay players in any of the major male professional sports leagues in this country. And that's, that's something to notice because a lot of these leagues at the corporate level are very progressive. I mean, Adam Silver is marching in pride parades. The NFL is, for all its faults, you know, pretty progressive and in terms of LGBT issues, Roger Goodell, I think, has a gay brother, right? So, but, 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 but there is that disconnect between the corporate initiatives and all these pride nights that pretty much every team does to the locker room, right? There must be, or else, or else we would have out players. So that remains, I think, uh, one of the bigger mysteries out there. And I've, we've talked about this on this show before. I've talked about this with uh, one of my friends, Brock McGillis, on my favorite league, the NHL, when it comes to this. Boy. You could do hundreds of shows on just the NHL and out uh, like Pride Nights and out people in general, and it's that's that's a topic. Is there anything in this particular way that gives you the most hope that something big is going to change? And and we can you say maybe it's an out NFL player, maybe it's an out NBA player, whatever it is. Is what gives you the most hope that something like that could be coming down the pike? Well, I mean, we've had it. Jason Collins was out and got nothing but support publicly and then was re-signed by the Nets the year after coming out. So we've already had it. And I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time and somebody will eventually do it. And then, like anything, they'll see that, oh, this wasn't that bad. This didn't affect me negatively. And in fact, I think it would actually even open up a lot of business opportunities for a player in today's world. So I think that somebody just has to go through it and do it. Um, and, and that's, and that's obviously what, what might even happen, Matt, is, you know, the first major quote unquote star out NBA NFL player might be somebody who was already out prior to being in the league. You know, it might, cause so many kids now are coming out in high school and college. I, that might be what it is. It might just be somebody who's already been out like a Scott France, for example. I, you know, he's tight end. He might just 
people, someone who's just is already out gets drafted, and that's that. So just it inevitably is going to happen, and and the more it happens, the more prevalent it becomes, and then you know eventually it's hopefully no longer a thing. I, I it's going to take time. Of course. I, I think that's what I, I've I've come to accept. I mean, like I want it to happen. You know, you wake up every day. I wake up every day thinking, is there another Colin Martin out there? And I remember seeing that story, and it just like it was the impetus for me to come out publicly. Something like that was was a big deal to oh. me, and I mean those stories are just invaluable. Just to have that example out there and to see how well it went, like those are the things that I mean we all use as markers. It was one of the bigger deals for me. But as you said, I think we're going to see it more from people just coming up out of this organically and just sort of happening by osmosis, because at at some point there's going to be. Uh, an athlete who is a big-time college athlete who's already out, and it's just part of their story. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it feels like it's going to happen soon. Just like, what was yeah. that, what's the figure now? I think, what was it, 30%? I don't remember the number. Maybe you remember a more specific number from a story. It's, it's, it's a very high number of kids do not identify as purely straight anymore. Really? Well, I, I can't remember what it was. It, was. it was less than 18 and I'm sorry for quoting bad figures that I don't remember exactly, but it feels like it's just, it's, it, and, and you see what's popular on like on YouTube, for instance, like what, like what are these, these people are watching? They're watching videos with all different kinds of people and it's just not registering for them that these are, you know, they're gay, they're transsexual or whatever. It's just things that they watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely more commonplace, I think, than ever. And of course, you know, there's always been, I guess, the same amount of, LGBTQ people, but just now people are more comfortable identifying, which is great. It's, it, it helps. And I, I think, it, and, it, and in many ways, do you think of sports as like the final frontier in life in many ways? It's like, this is the last <laughs> place that the community has made its name because it's happened in, you know, in music, it's happened in film and TV and politics and art. It's happened in a lot of these places slowly. But do you think like is sports kind of like the final frontier in a way, or is that a bad way of looking at it? I, I mean, in terms of our, I guess it depends, guess it depends on, where on where you live, live and what country you live in. Um, you know, we're fortunate in America where LGBTQ representation in the arts is definitely very prominent. Yeah, in terms of the entertainment sector, if you will, I'd say it's the last frontier. Uh, sports are socially backwards. You know, it's kind of the last place where you can still have the debate. You know, can a woman coach men? You're like, really? We're still wondering if women can work with men? I mean, that's accepted in every workplace in the country for decades at this point, like half a century in some yeah. cases. But You never really it's think about it until somebody brings it up to you like that, and you go, you know what? Yeah, that is kind of stupid. What are we doing here? Yeah. it's for, Or, you know, can a gay person work with straight people? I mean, every corporate job, that's like, a, obviously, like, you know, and then every major city. I mean, I don't mean to downplay discrimination, uh, that still was a major problem and why we need the Equality Act and et cetera. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think in that aspect, yeah, sports is really kind of the last frontier for a lot of these social debates. Is there any out athlete or any person, LGBTQ people in sports, uh, that you haven't talked to yet that you really want to talk to? Hmm, good question. The current closeted NFL star, Kiki's podcast, come on my show. Ah, like I, I see what you've done. I see yeah. what you've done there. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I have a, a ton. And if you're listening to this show, because Alex is a great platform, you can come on. My Twitter DMs are open. You can you can message me, and I would love to have you on. 
Uh, but is there any other like just specific person that you'd be like, I'd love to sit down and talk about this for however long? It's a good question. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Michael Sam, I think, is an interesting person just to kind of find out what exactly happened with his career. Um, mm -hmm. That would be an interesting one. I, Michael Sam was a good one. I, I, I would love to talk to Megan Rapinoe or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. That would be that would be awesome. She's great. That's yeah, she's Billie awesome. Jean King is yeah. another one. I think we all would love to talk to Billie Jean King. Oh, of course, yeah. I, I mean, mean there's probably a list that could go on and on, but you've already interviewed some pretty interesting people that I want on my show. You mentioned Harrison Brown and, and Casey Enfield. I want them both. Help me set that up. Both really cool people. Yeah, I would love to do, uh, especially, especially hockey is a sport where I think that talking to people like that is even more important than just in general, because hockey is a sport, as, of all the sports that are backward, it is the most backwards. Yeah, uh, but the NHL is also, it's only the least diverse racially, but the NHL, oh, it's, it's got so uh, many issues, done a lot. But, I mean, but that's why I say like when I, when any hockey players come out, I did like, this is the biggest deal in the world, because in the NFL, there are examples of of players in the past or people in the past that have come out. In the NBA, you have Jason Collins. In Major League Baseball, you have Billy Bean. In the NHL, you had uh, no one. So that yeah. was that yeah. was that's why I've always uh, viewed it as the most important. And it's probably of all the sports that I cover. I, the last show I did, I had Zach Sullivan, his defenseman for Manchester Storm in in Britain. He came out as bisexual, and I and unfortunately. He released that the day that Kobe Bryant died, so it was it got lost in in my own personal shuffle of that. But it was one of the happiest the stories I've seen in the longest of times because it just made me happy to know that there was somebody out there doing this, you know, in the sport of hockey that is in many ways so backwards, but you could find it if you look hard enough. Yeah, no, there's definitely uplifting stories. You know, you, that's that's power coming out. You tell your story, and hopefully, you inspire some people. He even, even said, it was, it was so funny, he said, I didn't know how far the story would reach. I said, Twitter can reach a, a, a fair way, even if it stinks, Twitter can reach a far way. And the minute I saw that story, I almost did backflips. And I'm not, you know, a flexible human being. It was, it was that kind of amazing, just, it was that kind of amazing story. Was there any one story that you either you read or you followed that was the most uplifting to you? Just the, the, the quintessential, great, happy, uplifting, coming out story in sports. Uh, I interviewed this kid, Alex, Alex Donovan, uh, last week, and he was the first openly gay NCAA wrestler. He was suicidal in high school, so so nervous about coming out, and then he finally did come out, and uh, slowly, you know, his father was initially, you know, said some homophobic things, and then they came together and have a great relationship now, and now he's almost graduating college and wants to be an advocate, a teacher growing up, so just to read stories like that and talk to people like that is just uh yeah it's such a really uplifting experience so last thing and of course thank you alex uh for coming on and spending some great time with us this is an awesome interview and obviously you should follow alex and all of his work because he's going to be doing a lot of great stuff like this and his podcast is not a competitor there's plenty of room in the world for great lgbtq people in sports podcasts the more of them the better um what's what's your biggest takeaway from all that you've done in life in sports media as an openly gay man and politics as an openly gay man where like what is your do you have a like not i want to say flowery statement but is there something because you're only slightly older than me so we're both in the same bracket is there something that you've learned 
over your time that you think is going to help inform where you go and where we all go, I guess, and not just LGBTQ people, the sports, but I guess in general. Is there something, I'm sorry, that, that I learned that will inform Yeah, and what's, what's the biggest people? thing you've learned in, I guess, in covering this and, and being a part of this that, you know, that gives you, we already talked about what gives you the most hope for the future, but, like, the, the ideas that could push this forward and could get us from where we are, and we made a quantum leap from when we both started really figuring out our own sexuality to now to next eight, ten years, something like that. Um, I think just more people telling their story and that it's, uh, the more visibility we have, the more, the more, the more accepted it is. And the more, you know, maybe there's a day where you don't have to make a big thing of coming out. That would be nice. And I think we are slowly but surely getting there. People were more visible than ever. And, you know, and the thing for acceptance is you just go, Oh, you too. Thank you for coming on. One more quick question for you. you can plug yourself. Where's Tom Brady going to be playing in 2020? Oh, this is the question. Titans, Titans. He's gonna. You're gonna try to torture gonna, me with this. You're gonna try to torture me yes, with this. Yes. Gonna go back to the Titans. Yep. He's gonna reunite with Frable. Oh God. And, and then, and then I get to remind people that the Titans are bad and will always be bad. I don't care what they did last year. <laughs> we'll have to see. Brady beating them. Who knows? Uh, Tom Brady will lead them to two wins over the Jaguars. Congrats, Tom. That's not an accomplishment. <laughs> Anyway, we'll have to see. Uh, thank you again, Alex, for coming on. Please plug yourself. Where can people find your work and you on social media? Hey, man. Hey, hey appreciate it. Good time. At Alex Dreamer one on Twitter. Just find me there. Thanks, Matt. It is great to talk to you. We will be watching where you go and listening to you on Sports Talk Radio, Sports Kiki Podcast, many other places. Alex, appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. All right, buddy. Thanks. Anytime. Happy to do it.